The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'd like to continue talking about concentration. And um, last time I was here, I started talking about the things that support concentration. I spent a number of weeks talking about the things that get in the way of concentration, the five hindrances, those qualities of mind that tend to agitate the mind. And um, last time I started talking about things that help us in concentration. So I'd like to continue that theme today and uh, start in particular by talking about um, well, first I'll say a few words about concentration. Um, I, I like to kind of set the context uh, every week. Um, so concentration is that um, quality of mind that allows the mind to become kind of settled, at ease, Sometimes the word for concentration, the the Pali term for concentration, samadhi, means basically um, the the root of the word di of samadhi or adi means kind of to stand. So it gives a sense of, you know, just when you're standing, it's the kind of rootedness in the ground. And the sum part basically means with. So samadhi, standing with. The um, English word that kind of most closely mirrors that word is composed. Because the pose part of the word is related to standing or posture. And the calm part means with. So... Um, composure is a way to look at concentration. The word concentration, sometimes I think we tend to uh, give extra meaning to. Um, We tend to add things like focus or um, narrowing often. And concentration in our meditation can be very broad, actually. It doesn't have to be drilled down to one very specific thing. So in that um, exploration of concentration, there are kind of two different ways it can be felt, experienced in our meditation. And one is that it can be cultivated, this stability of mind, this composure standing with can be cultivated by allowing the mind to stand with one experience, such as the breath, which is what we were exploring in the, um, the guided meditation. So bringing the attention over and over again to one experience, standing with that experience, composing the mind, collecting the mind, and collecting collectedness, unification, or other words that are sometimes used for uh, to describe the state of concentration. And so we can cultivate that state by staying with one experience. With that kind of concentration, the mind tends to get very settled, very quiet, very tranquil over time, 
I mean, initially, at least in my own mind, when I begin by paying attention to one experience such as the breath, I'm hearing sounds, I'm feeling body sensations, there's thoughts going through the mind, and yet I just kind of keep staying with the breath. Sometimes I use a, a reminder for myself when there's lots of things happening. Yeah, there's, there's sound happening and the breath. Well, there's body sensation and the breath. And I just use and the breath, and the breath and the breath. Just keep, keep that kind of as a touchstone for um, where the attention is collecting with the breath. And over time, with that kind of emphasis on that experience, that touchstone of just, oh yeah, and the breath, and the breath, the other experiences begin to recede. The, the sounds begin to recede, other body sensations begin to recede, and the experience of breathing becomes kind of much more prominent and um, it also begins to, to get more tranquil. The experience of breathing begins to tranquilize. And so this practice of settling the attention with one experience begins to really calm the mind down. Creates a, a sense of ease, of peace, of, of no problem in a way. So that's one way that concentration works, collecting the mind, gathering the mind, composing the mind around one experience. Another way that concentration works is um, very different. Instead of trying to keep the mind in touch with one experience, we explore what it might mean to keep the mind present, stable in the present moment, composed around changing experience. That there's sound happening and then the next moment there's body sensation happening and then there's a breath and another sound and a body sensation and an emotion floats through. And the mind can know all of that and kind of be in this river of changing experience and yet not be pulled out of the present moment, not be pulled into thoughts around what we're experiencing, not get lost pulled away from that sense of presence, stability. So in that situation, the composure is happening around changing experience. The mind tends to get, is not, doesn't tend to get quite as still. The objects don't get as still. And yet there's a great stability, tranquility of the awareness itself. So both forms of Um, concentration are valuable, helpful. Some minds find it easier to work with one or the other. So, um, um, you know, it's it's kind of an exploration. We each have to explore for ourselves what, what is our doorway, what's our avenue into settling the mind, composing the mind. So the way I'd like to explore this topic today is to talk about kind of the, what we might call the mechanics of concentration. Um, There are two things, two qualities, two factors in the mind in particular that the Buddha highlighted around concentration in terms of how do we actually do this? How do we do? How do we do it? Um, And the two qualities um, are translated roughly as directing the attention, aiming the attention, and sustaining the attention. 
it's easiest to talk about these two qualities uh, when first exploring these two qualities, first talking about them. It's easy is to talk about them in terms of that first kind of concentration that I talked about. They apply equally to both kinds of concentration. But it's easier to speak about them from the perspective of settling with one experience. And so that's how I'll speak about them today. So the... um, um, look at my notes. Organize my thoughts here. So these two factors of mind work together. Basically, um, you know, if we're paying attention to the breath, for example, and it, there are many things that we could use as a kind of a object to settle or stabilize the mind around. We could use a, a phrase in the mind, a kind of a mantra. We could use the experience of hearing. We could use the experience of breathing. We could use um, uh, an image in our minds. So there's many things we can use as a way to settle the mind. I'll talk about it with respect to breathing. That's the way I've most worked with concentration in this one-pointed kind of way, in this this way of gathering the mind around an object. So the um, aiming of the attention is around connecting with the experience. Each moment recognizing, okay, this is what I'm gathering my attention around. And the sustaining of the attention is around trying to stay connected with that experience. So these two work together. We turn our attention towards an experience and we um, see if there can be a sustaining of the attention on that experience. So they work together. They work as a pair. This aiming of the attention, um, I think when we think about aiming or directing the attention, often in um, our minds we think about narrowing the attention. And so we might be paying attention to the experience of breath at the nostrils or at the abdomen, and we may kind of have the sense of, you know, from the control tower up here, you know, diving into the experience at at the abdomen or at the nostrils and kind of having a sense of narrowing the attention down to to find the experience. That kind of narrowing um, can be be, um, done, and I've certainly done concentration in that way. That tends to be a kind of a more exclusive um, approach. You know, we, we think, okay, I need to pay attention to that and not everything else. And the, that um, t- can tend to bring some tension into the mind if we're trying to kind of look at just that one thing and push everything else aside. And so a kind of a gentler way in towards aiming is to not have to push everything else aside. It's that and the breath again. Just there's all this other stuff happening and the breath. So it's just a gentle um, connecting of the experience as your mind can meet with it in that moment. As opposed to trying to do something more than the mind is already doing, 
as opposed to trying to see it more clearly or focus in. It's like, well, okay, so there's all this stuff happening. Well, and there's the breath. What do I know about the breath? What's obvious about the breath in this moment? In that very simple way. And the breath. And there's a kind of a trust that that involves of um, that over time the mind will begin to settle in towards the breath and begin to let go of the other experiences. That happens naturally. We don't have to force that to happen. So there's some gentle ways to aim the attention other than trying to... I I think when I first started meditation, I kind of thought of dragging my mind, which I kind of thought was up here, dragging my mind to the breath, which I was paying attention to down here in my abdomen. So it's kind of like I was thinking about, yank the mind down here, yank the mind down here, yank the mind down here. That's, you know, not a terribly um, friendly approach to being with the breath. (laughs) And so over time, I began to recognize that there can be some gentler ways to meet the experience of breath. One of them is... I, I kind of touched on it in the guided meditation where I talked about, you know, looking at the breath as though it's a delicate creature. Sometimes um, I have the image of being with the breath, or if I'm using, if the analogy of looking at the breath is useful to you, sometimes it is to me. Um, I kind of use the analogy of looking with my peripheral attention. You know, so, so I'm not looking right at it. You know, if you look up at the stars at night, if you're trying to look at a very dim star, you can't look right at it. It's like, you know, your, your, your eyes don't see it quite. The dim light doesn't get seen when you look directly at it. But if you look just off to the side of that star, you can see it. It pops into view. So you can actually be looking kind of straight ahead and see quite a bit about what's out here. It's not that precise kind of looking, but there is a kind of a knowing. And so similarly to um, that uh, analogy to visual seeing, we can kind of look at the breath or feel the breath as though we're experiencing in, in the periphery of our attention. So for me, this might mean if I'm paying attention to the breath here at the abdomen, that I allow the attention to feel much larger and then just see what I notice in the area where I'm looking at it. Not trying to directly, you know, make it come into focus, but just what can I know? What can I know about the breath as I'm taking in a larger field of experience. You might just try that right now. Wherever you feel the breath, rather than trying to narrow down the attention to be precise, let the attention be broader and see what do you notice about the breath when you're not trying to narrow down the attention. So it's kind of like directing the mind towards something, but not zooming in on it. So that can be a gentler way of touching into aiming the attention. It's aiming the attention, but in a very broad way. 
I've started doing these um, brain training exercises. Hitting my mid-50s, I've heard this is a good thing to do, keep the brain kind of uh, exercised in a variety of ways. And one of the games is, um, it's called bird watching. And it's got two parts to it. You start by, you know, there's a, there's a small square in the middle of the screen. So it's, you know, the, the entire screen is at play here. And there's a small square in the middle of the screen. And um, uh, at some point, while you're watching that small square, a letter will flash in that small square, which is a letter that is going to be in the name of the bird. Um, And so there's the letter that flashes in that small square. And then at the same time, precisely the same instant that that letter flashes in the small square, an image of of a little bird flashes somewhere in on the screen. And then what you're supposed to do is to identify the letter that flashed and where, click on the screen where the bird was. And what I've discovered for myself is the easiest way to do this is, you know, if my attention gets drawn to look at the bird when the bird flashes, I lose the letter. But if I keep my attention right on the letter with a soft focus so that I'm kind of it's kind of like, it's not like focused right in on that little square. It's not, you know, narrowed. So it's, it's a soft focus, but right there, looking right at it, I don't let my attention waver from that place. And then the flash of the bird happens, and it's amazing to me how accurate I can be in locating that bird. So you, you, you name the bird, and then you click on the place where the bird appeared. So that kind of soft focus of attention gives me the possibility to see both the letter and the location of the bird. So it's kind of similar in a way, you know, this kind of focus that we're exploring with the breath. So we, you know, have the attention roughly in the area where we're paying attention to the breath. I'm pointing here because this is where I tend to pay attention to the breath. But you may notice it here or in your throat or a larger area of your chest or in your abdomen. So, you know, roughly, that's where the attention is, and yet it's taking in a broader range of experience. So that, that can be one way to gently aim the attention. Another way to explore this aiming of the attention is rather than thinking of going out and looking for the breath, like I was saying, you know, dragging the mind to the breath, allow the the attention to just be kind of settled back and see if you can let the breath come to you. Let the breath find you rather than you going out and finding the breath. It's kind of counterintuitive, but actually um, that's another way to gently receive kind of a receptive quality to the, uh, to the attention that way. And again, it's kind of an orientation of what is the mind tuning towards, attuned to, and rather than having to go find it, maybe a kind of analogy might be seeing versus looking. 
We're allowing the mind to be in a receptive stance of just seeing what's there rather than going out and trying to look for what's there. Settling back and receiving the experience of breathing. Another more gentle way perhaps to aim the attention. Another way that I found, and this is the third piece, the third aspect I'll give you for aiming the attention in a gentle way. So I'll remind you first, it was kind of looking at, not directly, looking at a more peripheral way, in a more peripheral way. The second being um, receiving, allowing the breath to find you. And the third is um, what I've called the use of requests. That rather than um, trying to make my mind do something, and we can, we can do that, you know, we can, we can tell ourselves, okay, now I'm going to pay attention to my hand and, you know, think about my hand and put my attention in my hand. With a request, instead you just kind of drop in a, an intention or a direction for the meditation. And then you don't try to consciously do it. You just see how does the mind respond to that request. So a request um, for the breathing might be, may the attention rest with the breathing. And then you don't try to do it. You don't try to tell the mind what to do. It's more of a, well, are you willing to do this right now? (laughs) May the mind rest with the breathing. Are you willing to do that right now? And then see what happens. Sometimes you might find, well, no, actually, the mind is not willing to do that right now. So, okay, can, what, is, what is the mind interested in doing right now? It doesn't have to be that you... Maybe, maybe what you need to be exploring in that moment is more relaxation. So, going back, perhaps, to relaxation and then checking in at another time. Oh, may the attention rest with the breathing. I found when the mind is ready, there's kind of a sense of relaxed attentiveness... That's quite amenable to these requests. And sometimes I have to keep requesting them, but each request is kind of like a very gentle way to aim the attention. It's, again, it's not, a, it's not a forceful aiming. It's more of that settle back and see, is the mind willing to meet the breath right now? So using requests, may the attention rest with the breathing. May the breathing become obvious. I use the word may because um, the mind is actually quite sensitive to language. And uh, if you say something like, now rest with the breath, or now be with the breath, the mind can kind of tense up around being demanded or ordered around. <laughs> it's, it's funny how the mind is, but um, you know, kind of a request. May the, may the attention rest with the breathing um, can be a very gentle way to aim the attention, to, to, to connect with this factor of aiming or connecting with the breath. Maybe connecting is a better word to use because aiming tends to have that sense of, of doing. And connecting can be a little bit more mm, balanced, perhaps. So that's the, that first factor, the aiming of the attention. And the sustaining of the attention, I think, is often... And actually, I think of these two qualities 
aiming and sustaining of the attention as being really the uh, part of the art of meditation. How do we play with these two qualities? How do we dance with these two, two qualities in a way that supports a settling of the mind? I think in concentration we tend to often get goal-oriented. We get to the idea, okay, I'm going to be, I want to concentrate my mind so I need to stay with the breath. I need to hold on to that breath. Um, and so there can be a kind of an over-efforting, a striving quality, a goal-oriented quality around engaging in concentration practice. And a lot of where that striving comes is in this factor of sustaining the attention. Because we think, I need to stay with the breath. And so there's some ways to play with the sustaining quality of mind, again, that perhaps help to make the whole experience more relaxed, more receptive, more easeful. So the thing that has been most helpful to me around the sustaining of the attention is to let go of the idea of how long the sustaining should happen for. It's kind of like um, when we connect with a breath, so when we use whatever tool we use to gently connect with the breath, maybe it's that request May the breathing become clear. Or maybe it's um, that peripheral vision. And whatever way we gently use to connect with the breath, there'll be a kind of a natural resonance or sustaining of the attention that kind of naturally happens. It's kind of like, you know, when I hit the bell... The hitting of the bell, this is, a, this is an al- analogy that's actually used in, in the text, I believe, believe, that the hitting of the bell is kind of like that aiming of the attention. So the striking of the bell is like the aiming of the attention. And then the resonance, it has a natural resonance. I don't need to keep doing anything to have the sound continue. But it does fade after a period of time. So I can barely hear it now. Now I can't hear it anymore. So it, that, uh, the, the aiming of the attention or the connecting is like the striking of the bell. And the sustaining is like the resonance that happens naturally. So to have the idea that we can sustain the attention, I think is part of where uh, we get caught more what I've learned is to appreciate or to see if I can connect with that resonant sustaining of the attention that happens naturally with a connecting to a breath. And then get familiar, like with this, you know, you, if you want to have the bell sounding so that you can hear it, you get familiar with when it starts to fade and then connect again. So we get familiar with that kind of resonant quality of what does it feel like for the attention to naturally sustain? And then when it feels like it's starting to fade, 
we gently aim again, gently remind ourselves again, okay, connect with the breath. A useful way to um, explore this is around connecting with half a breath at a time. Because generally, we can, or, or when we connect with the breath, the, the amount of time that we can be with that, you know, it's a, it's a second, or maybe two, that a breath lasts. Unless you're doing really long, slow, deep breaths. You know, a normal breath is usually one, one second or two seconds long, an in-breath. So if you connect with an in-breath, just be with an in-breath, and just allow the attention to be with that in-breath. And then connect again at the next half breath. So that the connecting, so you're not applying too much effort. It's just enough effort to stay with a half a breath. As opposed to trying, you know, sitting down and saying, okay, I'm going to be with my breath for 45 minutes while we're sitting here. That's kind of exhausting just to begin with. It's trying to pick up the whole sitting right at the beginning and be present for that. So that tends to contract the mind right away. And so it's, okay, can I be with a half a breath? And actually I encourage you to do the relaxation first because the relaxation of body and mind provides a container in which this um, connecting and sustaining the attention can happen more naturally and happen more easily, let's say. So... uh, Connecting with a half a breath. And then just watching what's, what's there. What do you notice about, what's obvious about that half breath? And then connecting with the next half breath. Just one half breath at a time. Very gently. Then over time you may start to recognize actually um, it feels a little bit agitating to consciously connect with every half breath. Because over time, the mind begins to settle. It begins to compose itself around the breath. It begins to stand with the breath more naturally. And if we're kind of reminding ourselves, oh yeah, half a breath, half a breath, half a breath, every few seconds, it's like it's agitating because the mind is naturally settling. And so beginning to get familiar with that resonant quality, you know, when you hit it, sometimes, you know, depending on how you hit the bell, like... If I do that, it doesn't last very long. But if I hit it just right, the sustaining can be quite long. And so getting familiar with that sustaining quality of the attention and when we need to aim the attention again. As the mind settles in the, in the meditation, it may be You know, that only every third or fourth breath do you need to remind yourself, oh yeah, breath, and the breath, and the breath, just the breath. So we get familiar with that sustaining of the attention. A light touch. Sometimes I use this, uh, an exploration for myself around sustaining the attention because my mind has a tendency to over-effort has a tendency to do more than it needs to do in concentration. And so I sometimes ask myself the question, how little effort do I need to actually be here for the breath? And I often find, quite amazingly, I need way less effort that I'm making. 
So that kind of exploration can also be helpful. If you find yourself sleepy, however, or um, not able to stay connected with the breath or sustained with the breath, then reminding yourself regularly. You could use um, requests. You, know, you could use requests more regularly or, or just a gentle kind of noting and the breath, and the breath, just to remind yourself to stay with it. So tuning the level of conscious engagement to how your mind is, how the experience is unfolding. So this is where it is an art because it changes. It changes from day to day, how much effort we make. It changes from hour to hour, even minute to minute in a meditation. And so we can't simply sit, sit down and say, okay, this is how I'm going to pay attention to the breath today. We have to be kind of attuned to how the mind is. If you've gotten a lot of sleep, you've had a nice meal, there's not a lot of um, noise outside, perhaps it's fairly easy to settle with the breath. If you haven't gotten a lot of sleep, there's dullness or there's a lot of sound outside, it may be more difficult. You may need to be a little bit more uh, purposeful about being with the breath. So many conditions come into play around these two factors. Let's see. I'm briefly going to mention three other factors. These two, the aiming, the connecting, and the sustaining of the attention, are the main ones that we have some... Uh, choice choice about. We can engage with aiming the attention. Our conscious minds can choose to aim the attention. So it's, it's amenable to that. It's kind of like the breath in a way. You know, that um, we, can, we can allow the breath to breathe itself or we can consciously say, okay, breathe in now, breathe out now. And so it's kind of got this quality of Um, being amenable to conscious control, our breath. Or, it doesn't have to be. You know, when we're asleep, the breath breathes itself. When we're engaged in an activity, often the breath is breathing itself. We're not having to think about the breath. So in a similar way, these factors of aiming, directing, and sustaining the attention are both amenable to conscious control, and they also will happen by themselves. We don't have to do them. Uh, They're actually happening all the time. The mind is picking something to direct its attention to, picking something to uh, pay attention to. Much of, you know, most of the time, I think that the, the factor of aiming the attention is happening in every moment. The factor of sustaining, I'm not so sure about whether that, that that may come and go. But, um, So they're amenable to conscious control, but they also can happen on their own. So with that conscious control, we can choose. May I be with the breath or pay attention to the breath? Can I, you know, sustain the attention? Can there be a sustaining of the attention? So those two factors are, are amenable to our choice, our doing. So that's really the, the place we have some agency in the meditation, around those factors. There are three other factors that support concentration 
that aren't really amenable so much to our conscious control, but tend to result from the aiming and the sustaining of the attention. And those three factors are, um, you know, translated sometimes as rapture. That term is sometimes translated as uh, rapt interest or um, joyful interest or joy. So joy can come about as the mind collects around an object, around the experience. So joy can come about. Happiness is another quality that comes about. Joy, the joy, the rapture, often has a kind of a energetic quality to it. It can feel really bubbly, like, you know, bubbles of uh, happiness kind of percolating through the body, or it can feel like... Um, chills through the body, you know, like your, um, you know, your skin, you've got chills through the body, or it can feel like um, waves of pleasure going through the body, or it might feel like being floating in space. It's like just this feeling of being a balloon that's pervaded with this sense of, of um, joy. So it can be very, very pleasant, this quality of rapture. It often has a, a physical component to it. It's, a, it's got a physical quality, often manifesting as sensations in the body. Uh, sometimes the body will move, you know, do this kind of thing <laughs> with rapture. Um, um, and sometimes that rapture can get strong and while I'm describing it, it sounds like, oh, yeah, I'd like some of that. You know, that sounds good. I'd like to feel like I'm floating and pervaded. Like Sometimes it's like a balloon pervaded with this incredibly pleasant water. Sometimes it can feel like you're being shocked with electricity. And sometimes the energy can get so strong that the, the sensations can actually be unpleasant. So, you know, if that kind of thing happens to you, sometimes I've, you know, had it be kind of like I'm sitting in meditation and suddenly the body goes, goes like that. It's like I got in an electric shock. That's a manifestation of rapture. Uh, often I've seen that that kind of rapture tends to happen when I've been trying too hard, when I've been forcing the mind. And so for me, when I start to see that kind of really energetic, unpleasant kind of rapture, it's a signal for me to back off, to use less effort. So that's one other quality. The rapture tends to support the concentration when it's that more um, you know, pleasant kind because the mind gets really happy, gets really interested. It's like, yeah, more of this, you know. <laughs> This feels good. And so the mind orients towards that experience. So it wants to stay with the breath because it feels good. So rapture supports our concentration in that way. Then uh, happiness is another quality, the next quality that um, tends to come about. Now rapture, again, we can't make it happen. It comes about as a result of aiming and sustaining the attention. And as the attention um, naturally begins to sustain, and we don't have to do so much work to have the attention sustain, so it's like that, that resonance, it's like the resonance ringing for a really long time, just staying, sustaining. As that starts to happen, the rapture starts to appear. We don't make the rapture happen. It's a consequence. It's a result. 
And likewise, the happiness is similar. Happiness is kind of, in a way, related to rapture, because there's the, the rapture comes with happiness embedded in it. But the happiness is a quieter feeling. It's more tranquil. It's, um, it's, it's more of a mental joy, a mental pleasure than a physical one. So it's, uh, for me, the, my um, name for happy, this, this state, happiness, and the, the word in Pali is sukha, and that to me is a good, it's a kind of onomatopoetic because it, you know, sukha, it sounds like sugar or something. It's, and, and happiness is very sweet. It's so sweet. And for me, the, the words that come to mind spontaneously when I'm experiencing happiness strongly is, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. It's just so pleasant. It's, it's, it's not got any of that edginess of the rapture. It's just very peaceful, pleasant quality. And again, that supports the concentration because the mind gravitates towards that experience. It, it encourages us to, um, to let go of the ways in which we normally look for happiness. And we normally, our minds are pretty restless going around trying to find happiness. Whereas this kind of happiness tends to settle that restlessness. The third additional quality is um, what's often translated as unification of mind or one-pointedness of mind. And this can be one-pointed around an experience like the breath. It also can be one-pointed in that you know, we're not pulled out of the present moment, as I was describing in the early description of the broader concentration, not the one-pointed concentration. But this... Um, this uh, quality of one-pointedness is more neutral in a way. It's, again, it's related to that tranquilizing, the happiness. So we, we move in a, in a way, you know, the rapture, and then the happiness is a quieter experience, and then the one-pointedness is even quieter. It's um, just a complete balance of mind. Like, this is okay. It doesn't have that quality of... Yes. It's like, no problem. That's the feeling there. It's no problem. And again, it supports us because the, you know, the normal way that our mind tries to find happiness is that there's problemizing going on and you know, we're, we're um, trying to solve problems, figure out how to get this, how to get rid of that. And when the mind moves to this place of no problem, it stops that kind of outward movement towards how can I get more of this? How can I get rid of this? So these, um, these five qualities all together, the, the aiming the attention, the sustaining the attention, the rapture, the happiness, the tranquility, those five um, come together to create the state of concentration. And they, they simultaneously help us settle into that one-pointedness. And they simultaneously allow us to let go of our usual tendencies of mind. The, um, the, the five hindrances I talked about some weeks ago 
um, the uh, the hindrances of um, sense desire, ill will, tend to get in the way of concentration, wanting to go out and find something, wanting to get rid of something. Uh, Those tend to get in the way of concentration. Sleepiness, dullness, and restlessness. Those two, again, the dullness keeps us from being present. The restlessness has us going out, not settled on one experience. And the fifth, doubt. The uncertainty. Can I do this? Is this the right practice for me? Um, All the kind of ways in which we doubt ourselves, doubt the practice, doubt the teachings. So these five, each of these five ways that the mind tends to not be able to be concentrated are kind of countered in a very gentle way by these five qualities of mind. So the um, um, aiming the attention, at directing the attention towards experience, that tends to counter sleepiness. You know, when our minds are sleepy... Um, if we give it a little bit of something to do, aiming the attention, it helps to brighten the mind, helps to wake it up. So we could look at that aspect of aiming the attention as being um, an antidote to sleepiness. The second factor, the um, sustaining of the attention, is the antidote to doubt. Because doubt comes in when we... um, are thinking about things and not connected, not being with experience. And so if we, if we notice doubt thoughts going on in our minds, can I do this? That very thought is getting in the way of sustaining the attention. And so if you can uh, you know, kind of set that thought aside and say, well, let's just be with this experience. Let's just see. That, that connecting with the experience counters the doubt. So it's like the antidote to doubt that's sustaining the attention. The other three, the, um, the rapture counters that uh, tendency towards not liking things, wanting to get rid of things. When we're in that space of joy and interest, uh, the mind doesn't tend to go towards what it doesn't like. The um, I mentioned just a few minutes ago, that settledness, the happiness, the uh, oh yes state tends to counter restlessness, the restless quality of mind. And the um, one-pointedness tends to counter the ways in which we want to go out and find something else to make us happy. When we're in that space of no problem, The mind doesn't have to go looking for something else. It doesn't have to go finding pleasure in sense desire. So these five qualities both uh, support us to deepen in concentration and uh, counter the things that get in our way of concentration. And the whole thing unfolds through those first two. Those, Those first two that we have some choice about. The last three are results of applying the attention from as those first two. So I talked for much of the time, but we still have about seven minutes if there's any comments or questions. Yeah, John, and we'll use the mics here. I liked your 
talk about divergent eyes, soft eyes. That's very interesting. That I didn't actually use that word, but that's a great way to put it. Soft, yeah. Yeah. soft eyes. There's a way you can demonstrate that. Can I show you? I mean, you sure. Yes, yes, at the, yes, I've seen that before. You can It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking out beyond the beyond them, you see that like third finger floating like a little sausage in the middle. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah. I just thought that was a great summary and I just wanted to thank you. You're welcome. Anyone else? Yeah, okay. Yes, I uh, did not hear your previous lectures on the hindrances. Um, it, when you speak of, you mentioned ill will. Is that anger? It's yeah. Ill, Ill will is a whole collection, actually, of uh, orientation. When think, something is unpleasant, ill will. Um, it can range from a simple not liking to full out anger, rage, hatred. Uh, so it's it's quite a range of experience, actually. That that ill will. It's basically, you know, the sense of don't like this, don't want this in my environment. And whether the uh, the movement is towards actively pushing that experience or um, uh, thing away, or a move towards get me out of here, it's 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 connected in that. So it's generally when something's unpleasant. Um, the want, the desire to get rid of it somehow. Yes, if I come to meditation uh, with anger, I have a great lot of difficulty meditating. Yes. So uh, when you discussed the hindrances, did you... Talk about how to work with uh, that? Yes. Yes. (laughs) One of the first ways to do it, I mean, so... um, um, it's interesting when there's anger happening. One of the um, uh, yeah, often we find okay, so something strong is happening like that. It's very hard to stay with the breath. You know, the mind keeps getting pulled to that thing. And so, for me at least, I see sometimes we can let it go. Sometimes it can be okay. Yeah, that's happening, but I'm just going to let it be in the background. You know, that's one way to approach it. It's like yeah, you know, can I just let that be in the background? Not forcing it away, not being angry about the anger, not hating the anger, not having ill will towards the anger, but just kind of setting it aside and saying, yep, it's there, I see you. And, you know, you do your thing over there, but I'm going to pay attention to the breath right now. You might be able to do that. It might be easier, actually, to pay attention to something like hearing. I found, at least in my own experience, um, trying to pay attention to the breath while I'm angry Anger tends to um, create sensations in the area in which we feel the breath. It constricts the nose, it constricts the throat, it makes pressure in the chest. So if you're trying to pay attention to the breath while angry, often the sensations you're experiencing just remind you that you're angry and you get hooked back in. So I sometimes find, if I want to do that setting aside thing, something like paying attention to hearing is helpful. Because the, you know, the hearing can be more neutral 
when there's that, those sensations in the body. Or perhaps opening the eyes and looking out at um, nature, you know, doing seeing meditation might help. So you might be able to set it aside and be with some other experience. That's one way to approach it. Often, when something like anger is present, the most effective way to work with it is to not be angry about the anger, not be frustrated about the anger, not to have hatred about the anger, and to just open to it. Hang on just a sec, I need to give a signature. <laughs> okay, sure, you can, you can sign it, yeah. Um, so, um, so not to be uh, angry about the anger, but instead to... Uh, open to, okay, this is what anger is like. So to receive the experience of anger, to kind of almost like, it's almost like taking a step back to witness the anger. I talked about the witnessing. Um, Either in the guided meditation or in the talk at some point, um, if we can witness, okay, yep, there's that happening. It engages, it's like it engages a different part of the mind somehow to have that witnessing stance. The anger is still going, but it's kind of like the anger um, often continues because we're thinking about the situation. So there's that situation. Somebody made me angry, and they shouldn't have done that, and here's what I should do to get back at them. And and that is actually spinning the wheels of the anger. It's like the, the gears are engaged around the anger. And when we can simply observe the experience of anger, how does it impact the body, for instance, is a good way to do that. It's like we disengage the gears. We're no longer fueling the anger. And that stepping back allows the experience of the body sensations of anger, the mental contractions around the anger, to kind of let go, to kind of... Because you're not, you're not fueling it anymore. The gears aren't engaged. It, it just spins itself out. It's kind of like putting the car in neutral when you're going down the freeway. The car's not going to stop immediately, but it will come to a stop. And so that takes a trust, actually. It takes quite a trust to meet anger in that way. It was very counterintuitive to me when I first started meditating. What, I pay attention to my anger? Isn't that going to make me more angry? But this kind of stepped-back stance of paying attention to anger anger very quickly points out to us, no, it doesn't actually make us more angry. It actually gives us space around it and allows it to diminish. So that was the, like, you know, five-minute summary of the whole talk. (laughs) And uh, that talk was recorded, so you could go back and and look and listen to that, too. Let's see. Oh, and we need to stop. So thank you all for your attention.